This episode of the Alley on the Run show is brought to you by Aftershocks. Welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I'm your host, Allie Feller, and today I am joined by one of the toughest women on the planet, literally. Amelia Boone is a lawyer by day and a hardcore obstacle course racer and ultra runner by early morning, night, and all kinds of crazy hours in between. She's won countless Tough Mudder and Spartan races, even earning the world's toughest mudder title. I've been dying to talk to Amelia ever since I first started following her happy, smiley self a few years ago, so this conversation was a real treat for me, and it's going to be a treat for you as well. And her happy, smiley thing isn't just an act. Amelia has an amazing perspective on both life and running, and she's super inspiring, so I promise you will finish this episode psyched and smiling. So let's get right into it. Amelia Boone, welcome to the Alley on the Run show. I am so excited to have you here today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here. All right. Start us off with a warm up. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you do. This, is this the hard part? This um, is the loaded question right out of the gate. I know, right? <laughs> uh, my name is Amelia Boone. I am originally from Portland, Oregon, so lifelong Oregonian. Well, not lifelong, but born and raised. Uh, currently now I'm residing in San Jose, California, and I am an attorney and a, uh, I guess a four-time world champion obstacle racer and also a, a budding ultra runner, I guess, maybe. A That's budding how I would call ultra myself. runner. Just did, just did the Barkley marathons, but yeah, budding. We'll start there. So, so I love exactly. the title. It's so many like badass things between attorney, ultra runner, world champion. So one thing that stands out is that these races you're doing You're Mm -hmm. not like, I've run a couple 5Ks, which I love the 5K, don't get me wrong. You're into these punishing sports, the obstacle races. You just had to go at the Barkley Marathons. What Mm -hmm. is it about this type of racing and this brutality that appeals to you? (laughs) You know, so it's funny. It's a different kind of brutality, I think, because if you ask me, like, I think running a 5K sounds like the most miserable thing in the entire world. It's like a different kind of pain. Um, and I don't do the fast, quick pain. Uh, I like to draw it out. I prefer the death by a thousand cuts type of, um, suffering, Oof. but I mean, I guess I've always, and I, it comes up from, you know, just knowing my strengths too, in that I just like the long grind and settling into a rhythm. And when something is, the more gnarly something seems, the higher the percentage of failure rate that there is, like the more intriguing it is to me. Um, you know, like, you know, you can like, if you start up to run like a mile, you're like, okay, I can get to the finish line. It's not gonna be pretty. But then if you like sign up for something that's a hundred miles, you're like, I don't even know if I can get to that finish line. And then that's kind of where that's, what's always kind of intrigued me, I guess. I think you're the first person I've had on this show who has said that they're intrigued by failure. We talk a lot about failure on this show because I'm mm-hmm. like terrified of it. You, you're intrigued by it. Have you always been that way? You know, actually, no. I um, have been scared of failure my entire life. Absolutely petrified. I mean, there was a 
there's a reason that I think that for so many years, I really played the safe route and I did kind of everything that I was supposed to do. It was, you know, do really well in high school so you can get the best college, do really well in college so you can get in the best law school and then get in the best firm in the world, et cetera, et cetera. And just kind of like played it very kind of like, okay, this, this is safe. This is safe. And, and, um, I mean, there's always the possibility of failure in, in those realms, but I think at the same time, I and I was so petrified of it that I never really ventured outside of things that I knew that I was good at. And so for me, after graduating law school and after, you know, settling in at the law firm that I was at, it was like, OK, well, kind of what's next? And then I kind of rediscovered the, the athlete uh, that I had in me. And, and that's where I decided to to give a give my give it a go at all these weird type of races <laughs> so was there a moment that that perspective shifted where you were like you know what I'm not scared of failing anymore and what was the thing that you went for first I don't really think there was a, a, def- a defined moment um but the first obstacle race that I ran was a Tough Mudder in Wisconsin um in 2011 and it was with um, some other attorneys at my law firm at the time and I remember finishing it and being like, man, when's the next one? And they were all like, cool, you know, let's go have a beer. Let's what's <laughs> what's the next thing. And then I get this email a few days later that's like, congrats, you have qualified for the first world's toughest mutter, which there was no qualifications. It was just wanted to make you feel like you qualified. It was really if you pay us, I'll, huh. you know, we'll we'll accept you. So this was the first world's toughest mutter, which was this 24 hour Tough Mudder um, in New Jersey in December. And I think that was the moment where I really like when I paid my, you know, $450 and was like, okay, what am I doing here? And that was like, oh, okay, I'm in over my head. I'm really in over my head. But I had the next few months to kind of try and figure it out and like confront the fact that like this is going to be miserable. And that's really, I, I mean, I found so much joy in that. And, I, and it kind of made me feel alive. So you got that email. There was no question. You were like, yes, I'm doing this. Uh, no, there was, I mean, I spent a week going back and forth over it and then being like, okay, well, even if I sign up, I still don't have to do it. You know, like I gave myself outs, but I think as the, as the near, the closer that I got, the more I was like, no, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And, um, it was probably one of the scariest things. I think we all, I mean, there were a thousand of us that lined up on the start line in December, um, you know, in New Jersey and it was like 20 degrees outside. That was was the first thing that went through my head. I'm like December in New Jersey outside for 24 hours. Was that just to make it extra punishing? Yeah, they were trying to okay. make it the, what they were called the toughest event Fair. on the planet. And so it was New Jersey, which no offense to New Jersey. No, I'm joking. Um, hey, <laughs> no, hey. No. Uh, yeah, no, I have actually have a very soft spot in my heart from New Jersey now Thank for you. this. Um, but it was, you know, so it was like, like 20 degrees in December. And not only are you outside running in that, you're in and out of water oh. for most of it. Um, and so it was like this entire thing where we had to figure out, like, how do you stay alive? Um so you ended up, we figured out, like, you run in a wetsuit for 24 hours, pretty much, which a lot of triathlon folk were like, oh, you're going to die if you try and run in a wetsuit for 24 hours because your thermal regulation is going to be all off. Happy to say it's like seven years later, we're still doing this event. No one has died yet. 
Um, and um, so you can run in a wetsuit for 24 hours. It's just really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what's the chafing situation there? Yeah, you know, I learned the hard way. Um, the, uh, l- l- let me tell you, that first year, number one, ladies, um, never wear a thong underneath a wetsuit. No. Um, yeah, that's my that's my TMI moment of the day, but I will tell you all about that. Oh, um, oh we so. welcome TMI <laughs> moments on here. Feel free to keep them coming. That's the best part. Uh, that's insane. So I need to go back in time. What was your... Mm-hmm. You know, what's your athletic background? How did you get into obstacle? I mean, you said you did that first one with your coworkers, but before that, what yeah. were you doing to to work out or to be healthy or kind of how'd you get so strong? So I grew up playing sports, all all different types of sports. I was kind of a I was pretty good at everything I tried. I was never a super standout all-star. Um, but you know, year-round soccer, softball, basketball. And um, I think that the thing that that people kind of noticed for me and the reason that I, you know, was on all of these teams and, and, and did pretty well is that I just had an engine. So we would go to soccer tournaments and we play four games in a day and the coaches knew that in the fourth game, they could count on me. Um, you know, that I would still be running up and down that field and just not tired. Um, and so I, you know, I didn't, I, I kind of quit all sports. I, I carried softball throughout, high school. I was a pitcher. Um, but then I didn't play in college. Um, didn't really even like, I think I did, you know, the usual in college and law school, like hop on the elliptical for 30 minutes type of thing to like, you know, try and feel healthy and yeah. work off the, work off the hangover from the night before. Um, but I never, I, you know, I didn't know anything about running first of all, um, or how, like, any type of workout regimen or anything when I, so when I first started getting into obstacle racing, I was like, I'm not a runner. Like I'm not, not a runner. Um, so I think it was actually that kind of that failure and getting my butt kicked by that first, um, course and realizing that I couldn't even do like monkey bars. And so at that point I was like, okay, I got to get serious. Like the fact that I can't even like do a pull up. Um, so at that point I actually, um, I had been contemplating, but I, I start I picked up CrossFit, which was huge in terms of building strength for me. Um, and then, so that I was living in Chicago at the time, um, and doing a lot of CrossFit and that was like my initial regimen. And then when I started, I started to run more because I realized that, okay, you got to run between the obstacles, but still really like no idea what I was doing. I was like, I'll just go out for like three or four miles. And what's, what's it? I would read articles. I'd be like, what's a tempo run or, you know, what's, I don't, I don't understand these things. Um, and so it, it was, people laugh at me now. Cause I always made statements like I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. Um, and now I'm just, a, I love running, but also I, my love for running also really started when I moved to California and had access to the trails all the time. (laughs) That made a huge difference for me was the trails. (laughs) Oh, I'm so jealous. (laughs) All right. Well, we talked about failure and I want to talk about a recent, you know, I put failure in quotes here and I'm only Mm -hmm. calling it that because you called it that, that technically you didn't finish the Barkley Marathon. So the course is you go out, you run five loops. Anyone who hasn't watched the documentary, go watch it. It's so good. 
Um, it's the best way to explain. It's really difficult to explain yeah. to people um, and unless you see it. So, well, yeah, how would you explain it? So tell everyone, what is the Barkley Marathon? <laughs> so the Barkley Marathon is, of course, uh, where uh, – so it's an ultra marathon um, through a park in eastern Tennessee. It's five loops. It says on paper it's 20-mile loops with about 12,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, but it's in reality, it's five loops, probably about 25, 26 miles a loop and probably about 15 to 20,000 feet of elevation gain each loop. Uh, there is no map. Um, there are no course markings. Uh, so you, well, I mean, there's a map, but you kind of have to mark it yourself. Uh, so you run this through this park, um, and to show that, to show that you're on track during the course, you actually rip out pages from books uh to and they're strategically placed and so and then you bring your books back you bring your pages back from each loop and that shows that you have uh, completed one loop and then you go out for another one until you are timed out or until you uh until you quit and so this year actually there were there were no finishers um in the history i think this race has been going on for 35 years there have been 15 people that finish and they're about 40 people that start each year. No woman has ever finished. It's absolutely insane. So how did you get into the marathon? Uh, So I first heard of it, man, probably back when I started obstacle racing, like 2011, um, one of my partners in crime and during that world's first uh, first world's toughest mutter, Joel Gatt, uh, had run it. um, Or was running it that year. And um, that was kind of when my interest in it, you know, when I first heard of it and the documentary came out a few years later. Um, but so it was always kind of like on my radar. I just never really felt like I was in a place to apply. Um, and it's a whole kind of secretive application process as well. Um, and I actually applied two two years ago, two, three years ago, didn't get in. Um, and I was just fine. Cause that was the year I broke my femur. Um, and so <laughs> this, this past year I was like, I'm going to give it a whirl again. Don't know if I'm, you know, in great enough shape or whatnot. Um, but through my, through my name in the, in the ring and got my letter of condolences, which is lets you know that you got in and, uh, you know, had about four months, three, four months to set my sights on it. So what did you do specifically to prepare for this experience? I would call it a race. I guess it's a race, but <laughs> yeah. So I kind of had to shift my training. It was tough because I already had a 100k a month out that I was focusing on um uh, that was a western states like golden ticket race and so I was still trying to train for that but then add in just a lot of vert and a lot of power hiking um because because it's just such crazy steep terrain you get like 40% grades and um just going up and down that and so I spent a lot of time because we don't have that. We have really long hills and mountains here in California, but like the super, super steep grades are hard to come by. So I spent a fair amount of time um, on a treadmill, just like on one of those incline mills jacked up to the highest percentage, which it went up to 40%. Um, and then, you know, just every opportunity that I could like kind of bushwhacked, uh, which is a scary proposition with all the poison oak around here, but you learn to survive. Um, but I mean, to be honest, the biggest preparation was really learning map and compass skills and land navigation skills. Uh, So I took a few courses, um, dabbled in some, you know, orienteering type of stuff. And that, that just intrigued me. It was fascinating to, to learn how to, 
be super self-sufficient using just a map and a compass and things that most people can't like. They're like, if I don't have my GPS device, because that's the thing, you can't carry a watch out there. You can't carry a GPS device out there. So you're on your own. So that was that was kind of the fun part of the prep for sure. That is insane. So you finished two loops of the five. Mm -hmm. The first loop, you were on great pace, but it was finding the pages of the book that slowed you down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was doing really, really well. But I mean, here's the thing. With Barkley, you need everything has to go right for you to succeed Um, in any one thing, whether it be nutrition, whether it be an injury, whether it be navigation or weather, any one of those can tank you. This year we had weather, it was pouring rain and completely foggy and it was dark at night. And then I ran into some navigation issues. Like I was in the area of the book, but spent like lost an hour trying to find a book. And those hours pile up because you have the time limit ticking. Um, and so it's, it's just this like perfect puzzle that you have to put together and very few people do. But I think that that's what keeps it so interesting. <laughs> So you didn't technically finish the race, so... No. But you said it was the best thing for your confidence. Why is that? Mm-hmm. You know, I spent I I spent the past few years or two years or so just kind of in, a, in, in an area of, of, of self-doubt. Um, I, you know, I've written extensively about it, but I, you know, I ended up with a, a fracture of my femur and then coming back from that, I ended up with a sacral stress fracture. So I was on the shelf for a year. I uh, didn't run a step for a year, didn't race for 18 months. And then this entire past year in 2017, I guess I just kind of questioned, like I just was fighting with my body the entire time and fighting with my own confidence as an athlete. And so going into Barkley, I, I was actually kind of nervous because I was afraid that the race was just going to kick my butt and then I would feel even worse about myself. But the funny thing is the race kicked my butt, but I felt so confident coming out as a result because it was kind of this this idea like I am not broken. Like I am strong. I am still an athlete. I'm still the athlete that, you know, I was before all the injuries, things like that. And and that and then I'm confident. And um so it was honestly the best thing that could happen to me. And it, and it helped me reframe what failure is really like we all look at like a DNF as failure, but like who says that's how you have to define it. And I think that that's a really kind of freeing realization for me. So how do you define failure now? Good question. I mean, I think honestly, failure to me is just not even giving yourself the opportunity to try. I love that. And, you know, I I think that failure is shutting yourself off from the possibility. And that's that's a kind of, you know, it's a very safe way to live, but it's also a very boring way to live. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's also worth noting that you didn't stop after two loops because you wanted to. You stopped because there was a time cutoff that for each loop you have to finish in a certain amount of time. Is it safe to say that if if they had let you, you would have gone on for a third loop? Oh, absolutely. I yeah. actually, I absolutely tried to argue. Um, I tried to lawyer, uh, with Laz, the race director. Cause I was like, well, it technically says that like you can finish a fun run, which is three loops under 40 hours. And we finished the second loop in 31 hours. So I was over that time limit, but I was like, but what if I do 
a third loop in nine hours, then I can finish the fun run. And he looked at me. He was like, no. <laughs> so, Do you want to do it again? Absolutely. Um, you know, but it, it is one of those things. It's like if he lets me back in. Right. And so um, I, if given the opportunity, I'll keep coming back and keep being humbled by that course. <laughs> well, I was going to say, is there something to be said for going into it as a veteran? Like you kind of kind of know the course now or is there something mm -hmm. with the whole ignorance is bliss thing? You know, I, I, I will let you know after this year if I'm able to run it, <laughs> Good which point. is worse, which is worse. There's nothing scarier than being a virgin out there because like there were points where leading up to it was like I could die out in the woods. I mean, I literally could get lost in the fog and wander around. There's stories of people wandering around for days out there. And now as a veteran, you, you kind of you don't have that fear of like bodily catastrophe, probably. But you now are like, okay, now there's like an expectation and all these virgins are going to look at me as like somebody that they should follow and who should actually know what's going on. But it's very discombobulating out there. So, you know, even even veterans get lost, uh, things like that. And are the books in the exact same spot every year or do they slightly move around? Everything kind of changes, okay. you know, and so it's it's never it's never a given, but nobody really knows. So, yeah, <laughs> it is the wildest thing. And like I said, if anyone listening hasn't watched the documentary, it's on Netflix. It is. Yeah, it like you said, it's hard to explain this race. I mean, I say this obviously as someone who has never, will never do it, but I'm mm -hmm. so fascinated by it and kudos to you for showing up and, and giving it so much. <laughs> that is so badass. Thank you. Thank you. And speaking of badass, so you mentioned before the world's toughest mutter. Mm -hmm. You won. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So tell yes. me about that. What does it take to be, look, I watch American Ninja Warrior, so it's like I'm pretty well versed in that, but I've not done a Tough Mudder before. And I know that they're yeah. not at all the same thing. Uh, <laughs> what does it take to be the world's toughest mutter? Uh, you know, it's so it's one of those things that I think people, people struggle with classifying obstacle racing as a sport. I, I firmly believe that obstacle racers require like, you know, the perfect mix of an athlete because you have to be able to, you have to be able to run. Um, you, so you need some speed, you need endurance, especially for world's toughest matter, which is a 24 hour event. And then you also need upper body strength. You need grip strength. Um, and you need, you need kind of to be, just be super well-rounded. You need to be able to carry heavy things. So for me, it's just the ultimate test of functionality of as a human being. Um, and so World's Toughest Mudder is is the tough mudder. That's the 24-hour race they have every year. Um, you know, I've, I've won it three times. Um, but I always like to say, I was like, it was the back in the day before nobody else was running. <laughs> Competition has gotten Hey, much don't better. downplay it. You won <laughs> it three times. That's unreal. That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's but it's just it's really kind of you know, in people it's it's kind of like when people run ultra marathons or things like hundred milers and people are like, What how do you keep going? And at some point at some point it's the mental takes over from the physical. Um, and that's really, really what it takes is that over these super long distances, uh, you just really have to have your mental game on, on point. 
Um, and just to, to be able to enjoy yourself for that long period of time, you know, it's, it can get really dark and lonely out there. <laughs> so when it comes to that mental game, is that saying, are you always, have you always been mentally strong or is that something you've had to train and work on? You know, I think that it's something that I've had to train. Um, I think I've been mentally tough in some ways. Um, but I've just, I've had a, just a never quit kind of, or like, you know, aside from, you know, catastrophic things aside. Um, but it's, for me, it's, it's little tips and tricks, you know, to help myself get through these things. You know, it's, it's being with myself out there. It's singing to myself when things get really, really dark. Um, and, you know, just kind of being your own best friend, so I always say, like, I compartmentalize things. You know, I never look at the big picture because if you look at, like, a 24-hour race, you know, and you're only an hour into it, you're going to quit immediately because you're like, wait, I have 23 more hours to go. If instead you're like, you know, I'm just going to get to the next uh, obstacle, then you just break it up in little chunks. It's so much more manageable. And I'm sure that anybody, you know, do that. I've actually, confession, I've never run a marathon, like a true road marathon or anything like that. Um, I've run one on the trails before. But I imagine that, you know, marathoners have a very similar thing. It's like, okay, don't focus on the 26 miles. Just focus on getting, if, I, if it was me, I'd be like, okay, I'll just focus on each mile marker. That's a new one. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever run a road marathon or does that idea just bore you? You're like, there's nothing heavy to pick up along the way. <laughs> Actually, no, I really, it's on my bucket list and I really want to do it. Um, but my thing is that like with anything that I want to be able to devote the time and focus on it, I don't want to just like go out and, and run a marathon just to run a marathon. Um, you know, I'd actually really want to give it a go to like see what I could do, um, there. Uh, so maybe, uh, now I'm like focused on the really, really long stuff at some point, maybe I'll come down and focus on on the shorter stuff but I mean I I firmly believe that shorter races are way harder than longer races so I am I think like like I said 5k is my ultimate torture I guess oh maybe my a gosh. mile race would be my ultimate torture only you ultra runners are like oh maybe someday I'll do something like quick and easy like a marathon just super short no big deal I don't think uh, it's easy well not though. easy oh but like short yeah. short and yeah, yeah, you know yeah. short and sweet just a casual marathon so right. in terms of tough mother and the Spartan races. Yeah. Physically, what obstacles are your favorite and do you most excel mm -hmm. at and which ones are the biggest challenge for you? Yeah. So I love, I love the heavy carries. Um, so things like bucket carries, sandbag carries up a mountain. I've always enjoyed and gravitated towards Spartan races more because of that, because they have the bucket carries and the heavy carries. Uh, Tough Mudder is more of like a monkey bars grip strength type of stuff and that's actually where I where's kind of like my downfall is that I just on on American people are always like when are you going to do American Ninja Warrior I go I would be awful because I don't really have those like monkey type of skills um I can hold my own but it's not it's not my bread and butter if I could have a race that's really just running up and down a mountain and carrying a sandbag up and down a mountain then that's going to be my race like the Amelia Boone heavy carry mountain run you know that's what we'll call it anyone yeah, listening don't steal it she just trademarked it so <laughs> exactly that's crazy so what is your family like do they get this stuff that you do <laughs> 
You know, they do now. Um, I think that if so, for the first year or so, I pretty much lied to my parents about what I was doing because I was afraid that they would worry. Um, I mean, and for good reason, especially with that first world's toughest mother. And then I did a few like 72 hour races out in like Vermont in the middle of the winter. And so I, like, I just was like, no, 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 it's just super chill. We're going to be like camping in our tents. We're not going to be running during the middle of the night. Um, but as, you know, as things came out and, and I told what <laughs> they told them after I survived, you know, like it's okay. And this is what I actually did. Uh, now, you know, they've always been 110% supportive and are my biggest fans. Um, and so now they get it and they love it. I'm actually getting my dad to out to run his first Spartan race this summer with me, um, up in Portland and he's 67 right now. And wow. so I'm, I'm, I'm super stoked for that, uh, to get them all out and involved. Oh, I love that. We'll have to get him on the show after to do a race <laughs> recap. So I know you're a really prolific figure in the fitness industry now. And it's funny because you, you know, you're so modest. You kind of seem to come upon a lot of this stuff by accident or unintentionally. How did you rise to fame in this industry? Because you're on TV, you're on magazine covers, you're on the cover of Runner's World right now. So how did you start to gain this attention? And what was your reaction to that, to all that? You know, honestly, it, there's a part of me that's kind of, I'm flattered by it, but a little bit baffled too, because I think that, you know, there was, I, I happened in on this at, at a, you know, as, as obstacle racing was kind of emerging. Um, and so I think in terms of like needing a face, I was always around and kind of vocal and willing to talk and willing to chat about it. And so I think in some ways it was just like being in the right place at the right time. Um, so, you know, I, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's flattering to me that people are interested in my story. Um, and, and, you know, what I have to do and have to share. And I think a lot of it honestly comes from the fact that I really am, I'm a weakened warrior, just like every, you know, 99% of the population out there, you know, I'm, I'm working full time as an attorney and then I'm doing this on the side and that's how my gig has always been. And I think that, you know, I, it's, it's just different. And, um, and I really don't really wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, but I, there's a lot too, to be said for, I've always admired athletes that are vulnerable and who share their stories and share their insights and share their struggles. And so that's kind of what I try and do with, um, my life. And, you know, I, when I write blogs and stuff like that, it's like, just, this is me. And I don't really even care if anyone reads them. It's almost like my type of therapy out there, um, for like the world to see. And, uh, when I went through injury and when I went through things like that, I, I was like, the more people need to talk about this. So I just started talking about it more and surprisingly, a lot of people related to it. <laughs> I was going to say people are definitely reading. I know I am one of them. Uh, when it comes to, you mentioned being a weekend warrior, can you walk me through what you're day looks like in terms of what kind of hours are you working and mm -hmm. you know it's not like you're doing you mentioned earlier you're you, when you started going for these three to four mile runs I'm right. guessing you're running a little bit more than that these days but mm -hmm. when are you fitting that in what does that look like yeah so I've I've always been a morning person um I just take it now to egregious extremes uh, so I get up at about about 4 a.m um and um then I kind of like get everything and ready in order for the day, shoot off a few emails. <laughs> My coworkers have gotten used to getting emails from me at like 4am and I'm like, guys, don't worry. You don't have to answer them. And then 
and that's just when I do some time. Then I hit the trails um, as soon as it, you know, uh, five, six days of the week, as soon as it gets light um, and or the parks open. And so that I'm generally I'm running in the mornings um, and then uh, I go head straight to work, shower here, um, and then I'm here at work by, you know, seven thirty eight 8 a.m., work full day. And then um, in the evenings, like two to three times a week, I do strength training sessions um, and, you know, as like kind of the accessory for obstacle racing. And then also just I think all runners need to incorporate strength. And then I'm home and in bed by, you know, 9 p.m. because I turn into a pumpkin after that. Uh, so it sounds like a super interesting life to a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, it's I, I kind of I kind of thrive on that. And so that's that's the general routine. Got one full rest day a week, which is always Mondays because those are uh, my, usually my busiest days. And, um, I think that for anyone, it's always just figuring out like where you can fit it in. Like, where's the time where no one's going to be looking for you. And it me, for me, um, you know, it's super early in the mornings. Let's take a quick break for a word from this week's sponsor. All right. So a few weeks ago, I was picking up my bib for a 10 K I was running the following morning. And as I was leaving bib pickup with my bib, I panicked because where were my Aftershocks headphones? I'd been wearing them when I arrived to get my bib, but suddenly they were gone and I looked everywhere. I was the total crazy girl. I asked all the volunteers and employees if they had seen them and I emptied my entire backpack on the floor to no avail. Then as I reached up to fix my ponytail, I realized I had been wearing them the entire time. So yes, I felt like an idiot, but then I was like, yes, this is why I love the Trex Air wireless headphones so much. They are so light and so comfortable that you quite literally forget you're even wearing them. I don't feel them when I run, they don't bounce around, and they weigh next to nothing. And that, my friends, is one of the many reasons Aftershocks are the best running buddies if you love listening to music or podcasts on the run. Good, great, wonderful? How about a sweet deal? Go to ontherun.aftershocks.com to get $30 off your wireless headphone purchase. The Trex Air headphones are my favorite, so get those and we'll be twinsies. Now let's get back to the show. So are there ever days that you wake up and you're like, I don't feel like running today? (laughs) I have never lacked for motivation. Uh, Honestly, I think... There are days when I was when I was injured and I couldn't run where I was like, I do not feel like cross training today. I don't feel like aqua jogging today. Um, But for me running, I wake up every day just stoked that I get to run on on the days that I'm running. Um, And so it's not so much of the motivation um, that that I've ever really struggled with. But I think that for me, it's also just because it's become such a habit it's become something like brushing my teeth and breathing that I don't feel right without it. Like my friends will be like, you didn't run today, did you? Or like you didn't, because like you can tell that I'm just a little bit more agitated or, or things along those lines. Um, so I think it's just, for me, it's, it's making it a habit and then you don't even like need the motivation anymore. (laughs) But you are also a vocal advocate and you're one of the brains behind the rest day brags account. So tell me you love a good rest day. So (laughs) 
I, I well, want you I to try, just go on your soapbox and preach yeah, about so, rest days for everyone. I try and trick myself into love thinking that I love ah. rest days. Um, I don't. I mean, I struggle with them like I think so many other athletes struggle with them as well because you just want to keep go, go, going. And so I think that was one of the reasons why behind kind of the creation it was an, like so many things, an accidental creation. Um, I think it was upset because I had to have a rest day and I was like drinking a beer in the shower before a wedding or something like that. And I tweeted something about it that people brag about all their epic runs, but nobody brags about their epic rest days. And so that's when kind of heads together with um, Jonathan Levitt and then Caroline Burkle and just being like, you know, no one talks about rest and we should be because rest is is training. And um, so it's been really exciting to see so many athletes kind of like jump on board that and to realize like there's there should be a stigma about rest because everyone needs to do it. And I, for so many years, I never took a rest day because I was like, I don't need a rest day. What are you talking about? Like, go, go, go. I feel awful after a rest day. Well, there's a reason you feel awful after a rest day because it takes a little bit for your system to get back up to speed and blah, 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 blah. But they're so important. So I think that, um, that's, it's been encouraging for me to see how many people have like adopted that. Um, and yeah, so now, you know, Monday's always, always one full rest day a week. It's, they seem to not get any easier, but you know, I'm still, I'm still gonna, I'm still waiting for that day where I'm like, yes, rest days are the best. (laughs) They're only the best after, for me, after like races or, you know, when I can, when I had like, I had like five rest days after Barkley, like full rest days. And I was like, these are the best things ever. (laughs) Yeah. And do you find that it helps for you to schedule them in instead of just, being forced to take one or taking yeah. random rest days. Does that help? Yeah. I mean, my coach is very, is very firm about that. Like you want, you know, the prophylactic rest days. You don't want to like take a rest day when you need it, because by the time you think you need it, it's probably already too late. Um, and so I'm a firm believer in, in scheduling them in. And like so many other things, um, I, I need the accountability. To, I don't need an accountability to go work out. I need the accountability to rest. So it helps for me to know that like there's one on the schedule. Do you do most of your training alone or do you have a crew that you run with? You know, I am, I am a lone wolf. Um, and I'm working on changing that because I think that I do miss out on a lot just of camaraderie, um, by running with others, but it's not because that I don't like running with other people. I go through the entire, like, what if I'm the slowest one and I slow everyone down type of thing? Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think you're good. But I'm so, I don't know. There are some really good runners here in the Bay Area. Um, And you're one of them. I thought you were going to say no one's up at 4 a.m. to run with you. That's also true. That is also true. Um, And then a lot of my running friends also live up in Marin, which Mm. is like two hours north of me. So as of now, I'm a lone wolfer. um, But, you know, hopefully at some point I'd like to, you know, live closer to people that could run with me. Well, maybe someone's listening to this and they're like, I just found my running buddy. So (laughs) check your inbox at 4am tomorrow and see what you have in there. Once you started winning races, like the world's toughest mutter and kind of becoming a name and a force in obstacle racing, did you feel a pressure to keep winning every time you showed up? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that drove me to almost quitting the sport. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, it took on a life of its own that I, so 
I, I had this thing in my mind that for four years in obstacle racing and Spartan races and Tough Mudders, I never missed a podium. I never got below third place. Um, and it was like this waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, when was it going to happen? Um, and you feel like I was there and I, I felt like I had this target on my back because, you know, like I was the girl that everyone was aiming for. And I fell out of love with the sport. I was miserable. I was a wreck before races. I raced because I was when I would cross the finish line. It wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm so happy. It was like a relief that I, you know, hadn't lost. Um, and so like it caused me to almost walk away and, and it was really having to take a year off and kind of, you know, well, like, whoa, you know, like now all of a sudden I can't do this. Um, so maybe I should just be happy when I'm able to go back out there to be able to physically be able to race. And so that was my kind of my entire metamorphosis and the entire idea of racing happy for me. Um, and just realizing that like, you know, where you cross the finish line, like, is, is not, is, it doesn't matter. I mean, and I think so much of the perceived, so much of the pressure I put on myself was actually perceived. I was thinking it was because of sponsors and it was like other people expecting me, but it was all internal. I mean, it was all internal. It always is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that year off you took, was that, were you injured or did you choose to step back for a year? No, that was, I was, that was injury. So okay. that was, I, I, yeah, ended up with a stress fracture in my femur um, and then a stress fracture in my sacrum right after the femur. And so in total, I was out for, uh, from running for like an entire year. And then how did you transition to ultras? So I had, I started, I dabbling in ultras before before my injury. And so that was, it was actually for me, it was back in 2015. And that was when I was contemplating walking away from obstacle racing. So I was like, let's try out this ultra running thing. So I, I ran a race hundred K down in Malibu and I ended up qualifying for Western States, which is, you know, the big, like hundred miles, super bowl of ultra marathons. And, um, I ended up running my, running my way into breaking my femur. Um, so like I said, I don't do moderation very well. Um, so I kind of started to transition before the injury. Um, and then, you know, afterwards coming back, I was like, okay, well maybe let's do this right this time. And so now I'm kind of like torn. I'm kind of trying to, I'm doing both, you know, I'm running some Spartan races. I'm running some ultra marathons and I, like, I'm just kind of enjoying trying things that are out there right now. Um, and I think that's cool. Like keeping some variety. Yeah. So it's funny you're talking about where you're at right now, because when we first touched base about doing this interview, I started Mm -hmm. prepping. I'm like, Oh yeah. Like she seems like she's in this great place right now. She's back from her injury. She's like Mm -hmm. smiling in every photo. I mean, you're always (laughs) smiling. I absolutely adore that. And then you tweet the other day that you've been feeling adrift and unsure of your direction. And I'm like, curveball. So now we need to talk about that. And I want to know what's going on. No, I, so that, and honestly, I mean, like, look, there's like a, there's a number of things. I think that we all go through like ebbs and flows in life. And I think for me, uh, honestly, like a part of that was 
is the realization that training hard to be a hundred percent at both ultra marathons and obstacle racing is kind of incompatible, especially when you add in a full-time job, um, that trying to do both of those, um, at the same time and to be at the top of both of those may not be compatible. And I don't really want to have to choose. And so it's tough because it's like, well, okay, do I focus on obstacle racing? Do I focus on ultra marathons? Where is my heart? You know? Um, and then just uh, like, like anything, I think we all go through every once in a while, like some crisis of like, where am I going and how did I get here? And what's my ultimate life plan? (laughs) Oh, you've come to the right place for that. (laughs) So it's, uh, you know, I just like, it's not by, by any means like day to day, like I'm, I'm, you know, it's things are like super rad, but I think that at times I have to check myself. Like you ride these, you ride these highs, but that's not always sustainable. So, um, you know, for me, it's just like, well, okay, I'm kind of wandering around, just kind of feeling it out. And I also think actually, to be honest, it was post Barkley. I just, I kept trying to find the next thing that I wanted to do and nothing was grabbing my attention. So if I don't have a big goal in front of me, I feel kind of lost, you know? And I think that a lot of people talk about that, like with, they don't have a race on the calendar or something. And so that's what me trying to find the next thing that really grabs my attention. And I really haven't found that yet. Um, so inching closer, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, I get that though. I mean, I remember after running my first marathon, it was the greatest day of my life. And then I remember Mm -hmm. the next weekend, Saturday morning, I woke up and I felt like I had no purpose because I was like, Oh my God, I have no training plan. Mm-hmm. What am I doing? I also ran an early fall marathon. So all my friends were still training for Chicago, Marine Corps, New York. They were all still out doing their long runs. I remember right. going out and running 10 miles in Central Park because I felt so like lost. Of course, I felt like garbage. I had run my first marathon a week prior, but I like right. made myself do it. I'm pretty sure I cried at some point because I'm I when do I not cry on a run? Uh, oh, I, oh, me too. But I remember Googling post marathon blues and being like, like, uh-huh. is this normal? And of course, everyone's like, yes, it's normal, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, signed up for my next marathon right away, got injured, didn't run it. And that depression was a lot worse. So right. <laughs> pro tip, don't rush yeah. it. <laughs> oh, for sure. And that's what, you know, like right after Barkley, I like wanted to jump back in. And oh, yeah. Race, race everything. And um, my coach was like, slow your roll, you know, like, and so it's, it's, it is definitely, it's definitely one of those things where you just like feel adrift and you're like, what is going on? And I need, I need that next focus. Oh, big time. And isn't it nice to have a coach in those times too, to kind of talk you off that ledge. And (laughs) it's like, we pay the coach to give us a training plan, but let's be honest, they're a therapist too. Oh, 110%. 110%. (laughs) All right. So I think I was reading, I forget if it was your Barkley recap, but somewhere you said that people had commented before the race being like, your obstacle racing isn't going to help you at Barkley's. So I'm wondering, are there any Amelia Boone haters or doubters out there that you've encountered? You know, um, I have, I'm sure... Like I've, I've received some hate on, on social media. Um, and it it used to really throw me, um, actually some, a lot of the hate was I, people would say like things about my body or stuff like that. And that's just, that's just female oriented, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's unfortunately, but like, that's just, 
the fact that with obstacle racing, you race in, you know, very little clothing. And so you're exposed. And so, you know, we should get those comments, but unfortunately every female athlete does, or maybe just every athlete does. Um, but you know, like I, I'm sure the thing is, so I've actually been told that people have said mean things about me in places and I know where those places are, but I have forced myself to not go look smart because it's one of those things where it's like, you just don't, you don't feed the trolls and it's so, and especially as an attorney, oh my God, all I want to do is go fight the trolls, but it's not, you're just fanning the flames. And so anything like that, I just choose to let it die out. But for the most part, um, I don't know, maybe I'll get a bunch of hate after this now. No, but... <laughs> you won't. No, you're going to just have even more fans. You're yeah, like the happiest, smiliest, but also like, like you said earlier, you are someone who I actually don't like the phrase, keep it real, because I feel like now it's like trending yeah. and people are like fake keeping it real to go viral. Right. And that's just never right. been your thing. You've always just been so no. like, hey, I'm a badass. I love Pop-Tarts. This is me. And I think that that's super cool. So keep that up. Yeah. Well, and I also think for me, like, especially when I, you know, posted the other day about or talked about being adrift, like for me, that is like, I started to feel this pressure, like, oh my God, now I have to be this smiley, happy person at Mm. all times. But like, that's not true. Not everyone is smiley, happy. Like I did get some blowback from the runner's world cover because people were like, why aren't you smiling? Why do you look so upset? And I go, well, I mean maybe that wasn't the look they were going for first of all um and second of all like not everyone smiles 100 percent of the time i actually worry about people that are smiley and happy 100 percent of the time because i feel like something's wrong um (laughs) (laughs) i don't believe it yeah all right what is your advice for first time obstacle racers yeah so here's the thing you're just gonna have to get out there and do it and you're you're going to fail um, a lot of obstacles probably and probably be humbled. Um, but there's no uh, people are like, how will I know when I'm ready? I'm like, you're never going to be ready. Um, and so my advice is to always go out with others. Um, if you, if you can sign up with a group um, and make it fun and just, and get a feel for the obstacles at first, you know, I've had tons of really, really strong runners go out there and they're like, you know, they, they can, they can outrun everyone and then they get humbled by the obstacles. And then they're like, I never want to do this again. And I'm like, yeah, the learning curve is steep, but like, if you stick with it, like you'll catch on really quickly. And so it's one of those things that you just have to dive in and try and to acknowledge that, you know, there's, there's going to be some failure and humbling that goes with it. Now, when you did that first tough mutter, you were you said you were with a whole bunch of coworkers. Are any of them still mm-hmm. still on the obstacle course circuit? No, no. I think they. I think they, <laughs> one and uh, done. Decided one one and done. <laughs> All right, fair. But I'm sure they are very supportive of you and very excited that you stuck yes. with it and you know just casually went on to win all of them for a while. What about? Yeah, they're, they're, they always take they take credit for that. Actually, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Just Photoshop them onto that runner's world cover, like a little Brady Bunch type uh, type of photo. All right. What is your best advice for aspiring ultra runners? Yeah. Do not pay attention to what everybody else does is, is first is first of all, because I think that for me, I got, I got caught up into the more mileage, more mileage, more mileage, um, you know, to be an ultra runner, I need to be running a hundred 100, 120 mile weeks. That's actually really not true at all. Um, and actually I think that marathoners 
tend to run higher mileage than ultramarathoners because ultramarathoners tend to do more vert, which just takes more time and is more pounding on your body. So I, you know, like don't get caught in the comparison trap. Um, and it's not always about volumes and volumes of mileage. Um, and so I think that that's, that's really key. Um, and then also your first ultra go out slower than your go out way slower than you expect to be running because you know, you don't want to blow up. I mean, blowing up is, is going to happen at some point. Most likely you're going to hit a low point at a race. Um, especially in ultra you'll hit multiple of them. Uh, but you know, you want to stave that off for as long as possible. <laughs> well, now that you've done some of the toughest, craziest, most exciting races out there. Are there any races that you still have on your running bucket list? Oh my God. So many. That's my issue. I'm paralyzed by indecision right now because there's so many options out there. Uh, but I mean, I would really like to be able to requalify for Western States at some point and go back to that. Uh, UTMB and Mont Blanc over there racing. I mean, that's a huge one um, that I would love to be able to get to at some point, um, you know, I actually, there are a fair number of things with like FKTs fastest known times that I'm really interested in doing. So there's, there's a whole host of races out there. I'm just like, there's not enough time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of time, we are getting to the end of ours, which means it is time to sprint to the finish. Excellent. What is the last obstacle? Is there like a common last obstacle in a Tough Mudder or a Spartan? That's like always the last one. Spartan is generally you always jump across a fire before the finish line. I think it seems very like gimmicky, but it's just kind of become iconic. (laughs) All right. Well, let's jump over the fire. Are you ready? Just jump jump over the fire. Yeah, I'm going to (laughs) rebrand this. Let's do it. What would your last meal on earth be? tubs and tubs of ice cream and um, boxes of cereal like preferably fruit loops but like yeah i mean i would just pound um probably ben and jerry's cinnabons great choice favorite movie the goonies favorite tv show um man i think the wire has to be up there all the time favorites biggest pet peeve Oh my God. Parking lot vultures. People that circle for your parking spot or like sit there and just like wait for you to get in the car and then look really impatient. And there's like spots like a half a block away. Like just yeah. walk. Oh yeah. Oh Go God. to the Short Hills Mall in New Jersey on a Saturday. You'll be, you'll lose your mind. <laughs> oh, I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> what is your greatest fear? Uh, dying alone is the morbid answer. <laughs> um, and, uh, Fun answer is actually fish. I'm petrified oh, of fish. Me too. But wait, I like that yours is dying alone, and then you're the person out there running ultras <laughs> in the dark near a jail by yourself at night. Just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> Pretty much. So, but hey. Pretty much. Be fearless. Confront right? your fears. Exactly. Yeah. All right. When and where did you have your first real kiss? Oh my god. Um, I think I was in eighth grade, and I was in my at my friend's like pool party I think I was like actually in the pool and I'm really sure it was like super super awkward sounds romantic (laughs) to me (laughs) yeah super awkward all right I find it hard to believe that you're bad at anything but what job would you be terrible at oh what job would I be terrible anything creative anything with drawing 
Um, anything with dancing, do not have me as a professional dancer. Um, and a cook. Oh, and I'm a horrific cook, so I would burn everything down. So Hence the cereal and ice cream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, when people come to you for help, what do they usually want? Uh, generally advice on how to fix their body. Um, so, or recovery tools, cause I've tried pretty much everything, but I love talking about that. So I'm, I'm happy to, you know, talk about anything that I've tried to do to fix myself. <laughs> well, talk about it. What is your favorite way to recover after a tough race? Um, man, there's so many different, actually one, I think one of my, the best things to do and people don't do it is pool walking. So I've lately been hopping in a like the pool, like at my, in my apartment complex and just like walking back and forth in it and just the cold water. And it's kind of like a, kind of like an ice bath, but not really. But then just like the compression of the water. I think it's fantastic recovery method. I thought you were going to say shower beer, but that the one that you said is a little, sounds more productive, I guess. Shower beer is it's sitting down in the shower yeah. and drinking the shower beer is my favorite. I don't really know how much that helps recovery, but no, I mean, it, I, it, does. I think it does. It's science. Mentally, at least. Yeah. Right. What is something you think everyone should do at least once in their lives? Absolutely fail miserably, like just flat out fail miserably and own it you know, and then you like, don't make excuses about it. So, yeah. If, if you could go for a run with anyone, who would it be? Oh my God. That's so hard. Um, ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many, um, you know, I'm going to have to say, uh, Killian Jornet, uh, because I need to see how he can run down hills. Um, but I, he would be very, very far in the distance in front of me. <laughs> Um, as I tried to figure that out. <laughs> that was an excellent, that's such an ultra answer. I love that. I know, right? I know. <laughs> All right. Do you get pedicures? No, no, I don't <laughs> like people touching my feet and I have two toenails. So. Ah, okay. What is the best compliment you've ever received? So people who tell me that, uh, this is the first, one of the things that sticks with me is that, um, one of the, or somebody I knew said, um, to me, he goes, you know, I don't have a lot of role models for my daughter nowadays. Like we live in a world of Kardashians and things like that. He was like, so thank you for being someone that my daughter can look up to. And to be honest, that's like hands down the best compliment I could ever get. I'm like, I might cry. I love that. And that's so nice. And a lot of people will like think nice things like that, but they won't say them. And I love that he said that to you. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I love it. Who was your childhood celebrity crush? Oh, God. Jonathan Taylor Thomas yes. and Leonardo DiCaprio. I feel like those are like the standard. Yep. Anyone in, in age range has to be has yep. to be those guys. Oh, and who was the guy that died? Uh, Jonathan Brandis. He died? Sequest DSV, yeah. From Ladybugs? <laughs> yes. Wait, he died? Yeah, he died, God, a while ago. What? No one told me. Now I'm laughing about him dying. But, but, so am I, but only because I feel like an... Okay, I'm Googling this as soon as we get off this call. Right. Jonathan Brandis died. What happened? I know. How did he I die? I think he killed himself. Oh, my God. I think God. he killed himself. I know. I know. It's really sad. It was a really sad day. Well, now yeah. I feel really, really bad. I wasn't <laughs> laughing at him dying. I just want to put that out there, but... Damn. Right. This conversation took a turn. What the hell? I know. Sorry. Let's, let's move let's, on to a let's, happier question. Let's flip it. Let's flip it. What celebrity would you love to be stuck in an elevator with? 
Oh my God, Chris Pratt. Ooh, I think he's he alive. So that's good. Yep, he is. He is alive. <laughs> what was the best day of your life so far? I think, I it, it's I have. I think winning the 2012 World's Toughest Mudder, um, or I like ran 90 miles, and I never run more than like 30 before in my life, and I like could barely walk, and I had to people like wheel me through the airport um probably and I was like it's so much pain but I think in terms of just like looking back on the most magical 24 hours of my life that would be it (laughs) what one word do you want to be remembered by authentic real tell me something you love about yourself I love that shouldn't be a tough question should it no (laughs) and that's why I ask this now is because I feel like we don't talk about we don't shout out the things we love about ourselves enough so I've started asking this question it's a new one that is actually a very phenomenal question because like we don't we don't acknowledge that because you're like well I don't want to say that because then I sound full of myself yeah that's why I want people to shout that stuff out you can list five things if you want go crazy right now excellent you got the mic I actually love um okay so I have a very good sense of direction I always know where I'm going um and so just except for except for at Barkley um but um I just love how confident I and I I love the fact that like I know I can be put into any situation and I can play ball um and so that to me I just I have that confidence and um I do love that and um I also love that frankly, that I just, I don't really care about a lot of things that I think that are stupid in life, like fashion, no offense to anybody that loves fashion, but, um, like I'm just like, I'm like, don't do makeup. I don't do like, you know, if I could wear shorts and, you know, like a sleeveless hooded sweatshirt all the time, I would. Um, and so I don't know, I just, I, I embrace that and I don't feel the need to fit in into that at all, but Look, I asked you that and you said, ooh, this is hard. And you just rattled off three things easily. So just saying, maybe that's an exercise to do. Do it. Oh my gosh. Oh, we'll make this two hours gladly. (laughs) But seriously, I love asking people that because it makes me so happy to hear people talk themselves up. I think we need to do that more. Yeah, I I fully agree. I think so as well. It's because it feels unnatural because people don't like to say it because like when you talk about that, you're like, oh, but now I'm bragging. Yeah. Who cares though? Who cares? There's stuff to brag about. All right. Before I let you go, give everyone listening a reason to run today. Well, um, I mean, it is technically global running today as we are running. It is. It's global running day. Uh, But do not run for a made up social media uh, day. So assuming today is not your rest day, you should run just because like, to be honest, like, everything feels better after run run will not solve anything like that's people like I solve them problems no it won't solve anything but it will help you kind of like deal with everything in that else that's going on so even if it's only for a few minutes um it's one of those things that's just can't those endorphins man perfect well Amelia thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today I have loved every minute of this conversation I've learned a lot yeah, me too. I'm gonna go jump over some fire I feel like I'm ready to do that and <laughs> excellent and keep being you because you're amazing and you're a light that this world needs so thank you for putting thank yourself out there and letting us follow along well, thank you for having me thank you so much for listening to this episode of the alley on the run show 
I hope that at some point in the last hour, you laughed, smiled, and felt super motivated. If you want more Allie on the Run fun and lots of puppy pictures, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allie on the Run one and make sure you're following the Allie on the Run page on Facebook. If you loved this episode and you're enjoying the show, please consider heading to iTunes or wherever you love listening to podcasts and leave a rating and review for the show. I promise it really helps and it really means a lot to me and I appreciate it and I love you. Finally, let's give a little more love to this episode's sponsor, Aftershocks. Visit ontherun.aftershocks.com, that's Aftershocks with a Z at the end, to get $30 off your wireless headphone purchase. Now go face your fears and embrace your inner badass. And thank you for joining me on the run.